My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. Um, I apologize for uh, starting the feed a bit late this morning. I skipped a step in my checklist. And for those of you wondering, um, does Jim have a checklist? Yes, Jim has a checklist. This shouldn't surprise any of you that know me well. Um, so that's what happens when you skip steps. But uh, good morning. Glad you're able to be with us this morning. Uh, I do miss you all very much. And uh, I would love for you to do something for me this morning if you could. If you could just uh, uh, say in the comments of the Facebook stream um, where you are uh, coming from. So where you are watching from this morning, that'd be very helpful. I've received several emails uh, this past week from a couple different spots across the country that I wasn't aware that folks were watching from. So I'd love to know and be able to greet you uh, and say hello and say thanks for swinging by. So, um, And for those of you that are at the Hickson campus for Stuart Heights, I uh, would love for you to let me know that you're there as well. So I uh, would love to be able to greet you as well. So this morning we are in uh, Mark chapter 9, and today is week 80, 80 of our uh, TBD uh, series on Mark. Uh, so I'd love for you to grab your handout and uh, a Bible. And if you've got uh, access to the internet, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and you can see uh, the links there for today's handout, as well as be able to um, uh, subscribe to a variety of our uh, emails and YouTube and podcasts and whatnot. So you can go there to OurSundaySchool.com. So we'll start with reading uh, Mark chapter 9, and uh, we'll go from there. So the question that we ask each week is, uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So be thinking through that question as I read through Mark chapter 9, and uh, we'll get started with Mark chapter 9 in just So Mark chapter 9. Then he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. 
When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, for, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon fo- uh, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. For whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. 
Mark chapter 9. I'll take a moment here and greet some folks. So, good morning to uh, the Denims. Good morning. Amy Velosen, yes, we miss seeing you as well, Miss Amy. Uh, the Greggs, good morning. The Barbers are here, good morning. Brittany is here. Uh, the Arnolds, the Millers. Uh, Nina is watching from Johnson City, good morning. Uh, the Barbers are in their house in Hickson. Millers are in their living room. Weaverville, North Carolina, excellent, wonderful. Uh, Erica Martin is here this morning, good morning. And uh, my mom is here, good morning, from Shelbyville. Uh, the McGarveys and the Landers. Well, welcome, guys. We're glad to have you this morning. Thankful that you're joining us today. Thankful that we have, uh, even in this uh, bit of a crippled season for the church, that we are able to still uh, teach and proclaim God's Word, and am uh, incredibly grateful for that opportunity, and I appreciate you engaging with us in this way. So if you got your hand out, uh, it's the same one as last week, and I believe, uh, unless... Uh, we are magically provided with an additional 30 to 40 minutes of time between now and 9.45. Uh, that it'll be the same handout for next week as well. So this will be at, uh, at least a three-week handout. And uh, I doubt a four, but we'll see. So a uh, quick review of uh, the last couple of verses that were in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. So when he said to them, this is Jesus saying to them repeatedly in the past, uh, Truly, or amen, I say to you, uh, there are some standing here, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God uh, and the kingdom of God come uh, after it has come with power. So we talked last week about how that was really the, the last little bit of chapter 8. Um, and if Jim was uh, king of the universe, then he would have uh, included uh, Mark 9-1 with Mark chapter 8, but I am not, and that's a really good thing for all of us. So 9-2 starts this passage about the transfiguration. And one of the beautiful things that I love about the way Mark treats this is just, here's the facts, here's what we said, here's what we did, here's how uh, God responds. And it is a beautiful retelling. Uh, you can actually see this uh, retelling also in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. But Mark's Gospel starts in verse 2, and it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, so this was his inner circle, we talked about this last week, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So Mark makes a special point here to draw out that it was just Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Just those four, no more. And it says, in Jesus, and he was transfigured. This was this idea of he was changed. There was something that was transformed. And if he just stopped with that, we might all wonder, what does that mean? You know, this is kind of a, it's a new word in Mark's gospel. It's the only time this word shows up in Mark's gospel. Words that show up one time in books of the Bible are really hard to get context around because we don't have a lot of usage to draw from and compare. You know, what, what is this? What's going on here? Mark gives us a little bit more, which is fantastic. So he says in verse 3, and his clothes or his dress became radiant. Uh, and this is a present active participle again. So this is a repeated action that took a little bit of time. It wasn't just a, an instantaneous thing. It, it took a minute to happen. So his clothes became radiant or flashed intensely, and then the word intensely again. So this is Mark using really all the words that he has at his, disposable to, at his disposal to say, this was a lot. And then he goes on to categorize it as white as, uh, uh, as, white as no one on earth could bleach them. So no, uh, no a person who, this word for one, was someone, it's a fuller. Uh, someone who would uh, go through the process of bleaching and cleaning and bleaching and cleaning and, and actually making cloth 
thicker and fuller than it originally was. And Mark's saying that nobody on earth had the ability to do white like what he had just seen, like what uh, Peter, James, and John had just seen here. So this was something that wasn't humanly explainable. Uh, and I love how Mark draws that out and really sets this aside into a category of something supernatural is happening here. So then we come to verse 4, and that's where we pick up with today's lesson. So verse 4, And there appeared to them, so the them would be the Peter, James, and John watching here, uh, Elijah with Moses. So we'll, we'll stop here for a few minutes and talk about Elijah and Moses. So Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh. Uh, so this is a clear declaration of who uh, Elijah's God is. Now Moses' name is an interesting name, and I'll spend just a couple of minutes on this. But in, in the Hebrew, Moses' name means drawn out because he was drawn out of the water. If you remember the story where he was put into the, uh, the basket-like contraption and uh, he was drawn then out of the water by, I think, Pharaoh's daughter. In uh, Egyptian, uh, Moses' name means child of. So if you think back to some of the Egyptian pharaohs, uh, Ramesses, uh, the Ra at the beginning of Ramesses' name means uh, the sun god. And Moses, the end of his name, means child of. So it's child of the sun god. But Moses' name is really just a child of. And it's a bit of a, I, I think it's an interesting story in, uh, from the Egyptian perspective that Moses' God, his parents' God at least, was Yahweh. And Moses had to come to that conclusion for himself, as we all do. But through his life, we begin to see how Yahweh is his God, how Yahweh does lead, how Yahweh does speak, how Yahweh does uh, provide and lead and guide Moses to then lead and guide the Israelites out of Egypt, ultimately. So we'll look at the verses here in Mark's gospel where Elijah and Moses show up, but I, want us to, I don't want us to miss uh, the, the significance of the names of these two Old Testament characters. Uh, and one last thing about them. So Elijah is uh, broadly considered to be one of the, the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And Moses is tightly associated with the law in the Old Testament. So when you have Elijah and Moses together, what you really have here is the fullness, the, the completeness of the Old Testament. So uh, the interesting thing is that the, the father is actually painting a very visual picture for uh, Peter, James, and John in showing Jesus, the central figure of the New Testament, with Moses and Elijah, two of the central figures of the Old Testament. And then there's this beautiful comparison that's made, and we then realize that Jesus is actually greater than the law and the prophets because he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the thing that we've been, he's the thing, he's the one that we've been waiting for that fulfills all of the law and the prophets. All of scripture points to him, and there's this beautiful picture that's on display. So I don't want us to. I don't want us to miss that as we go through and start talking about uh, Elijah and Moses. So let's take a look at a couple of these verses. So uh, Mark chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 15 is the first time uh, Elijah shows up. And if you remember, this is uh, when 
the death of John the Baptist occurs. So Herod is, uh, has heard about what's going on here with Jesus. For Jesus' name, this is verse 14, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That, that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. So Elijah was known in the Old Testament for these miracles, these stunning displays of God's power working through this particular man. Uh, and the, the New Testament uh, characters, the New Testament viewers of Jesus' life didn't have a bucket to put Jesus in because they didn't think he was the Messiah because he didn't come with this political and military force as well. He came with uh, a slightly different type of uh, force. And this this uh, miraculous power, the only thing they could associate that with was, well, this is a guy in the Old Testament named Elijah. Seems an awful lot like him. Okay, maybe it's Elijah come back. So then we skip ahead to Mark uh, 8, 28. And uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they tell them, well, John the Baptist, right? Because John was doing this kind of stuff. And others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets, right? So they, they had him pegged as a prophet. Like that's the, that's the key here. And uh, then we, we fast forward a little bit through Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, because the next three, four, five instances of Elijah showing up in Mark's gospel are in uh, this particular passage, Mark 9, 2 through 13. So Mark 15, 35. <clears throat> so this is at the, on the cross, is at the death of Christ. And it says, when the sixth hour, verse 33, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at that time, uh, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And you're like, Elijah, what? Yeah, Eloi, Eloi. Similar sounding, right? So they, they were looking back to, to this concept. And that's verse 36. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down, will come to take him down, whether Elijah will come to save. And the, the interesting thing that's happening here is that Mark is showing this contrast between those who are aware of what God has already done back in Mark chapter 9 about demonstrating who is the greatest among these three? And he's drawing the reader's attention to the fact that there were people who did not understand that Jesus was greater than Elijah. It was not on Elijah's shoulders, Elijah's responsibility to come and take Jesus down off of the cross. That's not Elijah's role. Elijah's role is to fulfill the commands that God has given him. Uh, and this was not one of them. So now we, we transition to Moses for just a second. And Moses begins to show up in, uh, almost immediately in Mark's gospel. In Mark 1, verse 44, so this is uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It's talking about Jesus cleansing a leper. So Jesus cleanses the leper. And in verse 43, he says, He sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof for them. So Jesus has been associated with Elijah because they didn't have a bucket to put his miracles in. And Jesus is telling this this leper to go fulfill the law, right? So this, this little foreshadowing of what Jesus has actually come to do, because this is not something that, that Mark is uh, resoundingly 
uh, really thumping the reader over the head with, this idea that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He, he certainly makes that point clear in several places, but this is not the, the primary intent of his gospel. Uh, we move on then to Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 10. We'll start in verse 8 here, and he says, uh, and he's, yeah, you, he's talking to the, the Pharisees here. It says, verse 8, it says, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Remember, these were the traditions that had been stacked on top of the law, these additional rabbinical writings that the Pharisees would have viewed as, uh, as just as equivalent with the law itself. So if you, if you look at my bookcase, this would be all of these works that are written about the Bible. The Pharisees would have looked at those that were written by the rabbis and said, oh, those are, those are on par with the Scripture. And, and it's a good warning to us that uh, you know, God gave us uh, these wonderful books uh, that we've put together in this single bound volume, and there's nothing else like this. There's, there's nothing else like this. Uh, there are things that can help us understand. There are things that can give us historical and literary and a geographical context, but this is what God wrote, and there, everything else is on a separate level. So he goes on here, he says, And you said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, so Jesus quotes Moses here, because he's invoking an authority figure that they would have recognized. For Moses says, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So he's, he's calling on what they fundamentally believe and putting it right up in their faces so they can hear and understand and cut through all of this stuff that they stacked on top of the scriptures themselves. So those are the two references before we get to Mark chapter 9. And then there's a few more after Mark chapter 9. We'll look at Mark chapter 10. So we'll flip over there for a moment. And early on in Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks about here in verses 3 and 4, he's asking them about um, uh, the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? Uh, and I, I love the way Jesus responds to so many questions because the answer for so many of his questions was simply, what does the Bible say? And, and he doesn't go into great explanation very often about what the Bible says. Jesus just assumes that the Bible is readily understandable and applicable. Because when you stop adding lots of stuff to the Scripture, it's really clear. <laughs> but when we add tons and tons of baggage and try to hang all these other things on top of the Scripture, it gets muddled very, very quickly. So Jesus appeals again to uh, Moses' writings here. So Mark... Uh, chapter 12, we see the last two instances of Moses showing up uh, in Mark's gospel. And this is uh, the Sadducees um, coming to him in verse 18. Uh, the, and the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. Boy, they're going to be surprised. Uh, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child... The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he left, when he died, left no offspring. And he goes, they go on and on and on. And Jesus answers there in verse 24, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you neither know the scriptures 
Uh, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, which would have been just an incredibly insulting thing to say, in the passage about the bush, see, so this is what you had to do when you don't have uh, book titles and chapters and verses, right? You have to reference in the passage about this to give some sort of reference here, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So again, Jesus invokes Moses's uh, written authority that the Holy Spirit uh, spoke through Moses to use Jesus' fulfillment of Moses. So he's using Moses to explain to folks that I'm the Messiah. And if anybody had stopped for a minute and, and looked, they would have seen that this was true. So, so I want to make sure we understood who is on this uh, mountain with Jesus. So we've got Elijah with Moses. So here we go. Let's keep going. And they were talking. So again, this is a present active participle, so it took a second. It was not just an instantaneous thing. They were conversing with Jesus. Now, what we don't have, we don't have between verses 4 and 5 any record of what they were talking about, which that would have been neat to listen in on, <laughs> right? I mean, how cool would it have been to hear Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking? Right? I mean, how cool would that have been? And and I, <laughs> I you don't get me started on this, but this would have been a really neat conversation to listen in on because who would have been enthralled? Moses and Elijah would have been enthralled with getting to see the one who they were prophesying and foretelling about. Like how incredible would that have been to be able to see? So verse five, uh, nature abhors a vacuum and so does Peter. Verse five, and Peter said, in my notes right here, I have uh-oh in the margin. Um, and the, the word for said here is, so the, the word uh, the lego is, uh, is used uh, toward for saying, uh, but there's another word that's also used here for that's translated as said. There's actually two Greek words, uh, two Greek verbs actually kind of combined here to talk about what Peter was doing. So he he physically said something, but the the word I, I can't pronounce it apokrinomai I think uh, to conclude for oneself or to respond to to begin to speak where an address is expected. So Peter saw that there was this vacuum, there was this void, and like well I, I've I've got to say something. And uh, so Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, which is, this is his title. He was a rabbi. Uh, he says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. And you go, okay, all right, okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. It's good that we're here. And, and then, and then it goes off the rails, right? Oh. <sighs> I just feel so bad because this got recorded, y'all, right? I mean, we're, we're still studying this conversation 2,000 years later. <laughs> like, it's, I just feel, I feel tough for Peter sometimes because he gets beat up a lot. Um, however, I'm not a 1,000% sure we would have had a couple of the verses later on if Peter hadn't taken the initiative and really, I would say, sinned in his really awful theology here. So, and Peter says, uh, Rabbi, it is, it is good that we are here. Let us make, subjunctive. So he's, he's thinking this is a, a real possibility. Let us make three tents. In my notes, I have no. 
three tenths for you, uh, three tenths, one for you. So, so I'll give him credit here, right? Let's give him a little credit. He gets the order right, at least. He didn't say Moses first, then Elijah, then Jesus, right? At least he put his rabbi first. So I, I think that actually tells us a little bit about Peter. Uh, so at least he put the, his rabbi first. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Like, okay. All right. <clears throat> and then we get to verse 6, which really explains why he said uh, what he said. For, this is Gar, this is assigning a reason. There was a, there's a reason he said this. This is the reason. He did not know what to say. Okay. So just as a generic rule in life, when we don't know what to say, it's okay to say nothing. It really is, I promise. If you go through and you read through the book of Proverbs, the hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs that are listed, there are many, many Proverbs that are very specifically written talking about a wise man holding his tongue, that the fool rushes in with words and the wise man sits back and waits and considers a thing and ponders and waits and thinks before the wise man speaks and gains counsel before making decisions and all these sorts of proverbs around what to do with that member. And when we rush in and say things before we've thought them through, we end up with theology like this. Let's build three tents. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Right? Oh, it breaks my heart. So verse 6, for he did not know what to say. And here's the reason why he didn't know what to say. For they were terrified which kind of makes sense, right? So let's just give them a little grace here for a second. Their rabbi leads them up on a mountain, and then the rabbi's clothes start flashing intensely white, whiter than a white they've ever seen, and then Moses and Elijah show up, and they start having a conversation. Okay? So let's just put this in your personal uh, experience. So your boss or whoever was your last boss that you had that you worked for um, leads you out into the middle of nowhere apart from you and your coworkers. They only take your, your boss's favorite coworkers, your boss's favorite employees, and you're one of them. They lead you out to a mountain, and uh, you're watching your boss, and all of a sudden uh, that boss's clothes start flashing brilliantly white. And then two dead people, one of them who's been dead several hundred years, one of them who's been dead a couple of thousand just show up and they start having a conversation. What's your mental state right then in that moment? I'm going to bet a nickel that you're a little bit terrified because <laughs> I'd be terrified. I'd be out of my mind because it was my understanding that you only live once, right? And that you don't get called back up. And apparently God can do whatever he wants, with whomever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And it's a beautiful conclusion to draw from this story that the sovereign king of the universe is the sovereign king over all, over his creation, over us as individuals in his creation, over all. And he can use us and put us in and take us out of his plan as he sees fit.
So we'll give them a little grace here. The specific word for terrified here is ek phobos. Ek means out of, and phobos means fear. And it's the, the, the definition that I've highlighted on the handout is frightened out of one's wits. Like you, you are out of, your, your fear has just gone, you're just gone, right? You're just absolutely terrified. Uh, and it is a conclusion that I have written in my notes here that uh, scared people to say dumb things, right? I mean, it, you, you've probably experienced this. You've probably had a conversation with people before where you were terrified and you said something really stupid and then later you look back and you went, that was dumb. I could have handled that better. And almost always a better answer would have been no answer, right? Just to hold our tongue. It is a powerful member. So then we get to verse 7. In case you thought the uh, odd things in this story are over, <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> verse 7, and a cloud. Now, clouds only show up a few times in Mark's gospel. And I want to look at the other two times they show up. So they show up here in 9-7 when uh, uh, this voice speaks. And then they also show up in 13 26 so this is uh, the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is talking about after the tribulation, the sun is darkened, the moon not gives its light, stars will be falling from the heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So these are, these are big, like this is a big deal that happens here when a cloud is mentioned in Mark's Gospel. 1462 is the next one. If you think we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 a long time, just take a look at how many verses are in Mark chapter 14. Oh my goodness. Mark 14, 62. Um, and Jesus said, I am... Oh, sorry, let's back up to 61. You can't miss this. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Ego I may. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Right? So the... The, the clouds in Mark's gospel are associated with the coming of the Son of Man. So it's not a mistake that there was a cloud on this day because Mark is trying to help the reader understand and he's trying to help, and God was trying to help Peter, James, and John understand that something big is happening right now. Now they probably got it because they were already terrified, but we're just, we're adding to this miraculous day. So a cloud overshadowed them. And this overshadowed is present active participle. So there was there was a couple, it wasn't just an instantaneous thing either. This took a minute, right? So that I want you to see all these present active participles. This was not a 30 second deal. This was this took a while, guys. This was this was an extended period of time. So this cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. Here we go. You ready? Now, I'll leave it to you guys to go look up all the uh, instances in Mark for the word voice. It's a fascinating, you know what? We'll do that today. We'll do that today and we'll end on that. So Mark 1, 3. You actually get the whole story of Mark's gospel by looking at the voice. We'll walk you through it real quick. So Mark 1, 3. Uh, 2 says, uh, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord Make his path straight. It's this get ready announcement. Uh, verse 11, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I am pleased. So the father is saying, I am pleased 
in Christ. I am pleased with Christ. Verse 26, And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. See, Jesus' voice that commanded the spirit was greater than the spirit's voice. So the voice is preparing the way. The voice is making a declaration that uh, God is pleased with his son. The voice has power over other voices. Uh, Mark 5, 7. It's a beautiful little string of verses here. Uh, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, this is another spirit. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And then he sends him out. So the, the demons cry out with a voice at the sight of Jesus, but he is more powerful. Mark 9, 7, again, the father declares, this is my beloved son. Not just I am pleased with him, listen to him. Mark uh, 15, 34, uh, it says, uh, this is when Jesus cried out with a loud voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we see this relationship with the father. And then verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud, a loud cry. This is the, the phone again. Uh, and breathed his last. It's the whole story of Mark's gospel, is the voice. The voice that declares Christ is coming, the voice that declares uh, that this is God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased, the voices that are drowned out and overpowered by the voice of Jesus Christ. The voice again that comes and says, listen to him. And then the two voices that Jesus raises up on the cross talking about his relationship with the Father and breathing and crying out his last. It's the whole story. It's a beautiful thing. So we'll end there today, and uh, we'll pick up in the middle of verse 7 again next week. Uh, Let's see, we got like a page and a half of notes done. So that's pretty good, right? (laughs) There we go. All right, so uh, a couple of things before we go. Uh, If you are interested in uh, subscribing to our uh, podcast, our YouTube channel, uh, the weekly email, you can do all that at OurSundaySchool.com. If you are interested in becoming a member of our Sunday School class, there are some membership expectations, things that we expect our members to do. Uh, Those are found on the About Us tab at OurSundaySchool.com. You can watch the lesson there or listen to the lesson there. Uh, and uh, learn all about those. And then as we end and close today, I would encourage you to share any prayer requests uh, in the comments of this particular uh, Facebook post. Uh, We would love to pray for those. We would love to engage with you on those. We'd love to help in and assist in any way that we can with those. Um, Pray for somebody that's not with you and then uh, join with us uh, later this morning at one of our worship services or online to uh, participate in worshiping this one who is so much greater than Moses, than Elijah, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and the one who is sovereign over all. It's a beautiful story. I hope you know Jesus. If you don't, reach out. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you about you, with this, uh, about you, and I look forward to seeing you guys as soon as we can. Love you all. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.